0: Tonight we gather together for a very sacred occasion, the ordination of three wonderful couples to the ministry of the United Pentecostal Church International. Usually we think of ordination as a ceremony in which someone is commissioned or appointed to a position within the church. And most often that ceremony, as it will tonight, involves the laying on of hands. The biblical definition of ordination is slightly different. The word ordain in the Bible refers to setting in place. For example, Joseph was ordained as a ruler in Egypt. He was set in that place. The steward in Jesus' parable was ordained, set in place to oversee a household. and Deacons were ordained or set in place to serve the Jerusalem church. No ceremony was specified. The ordinations in scripture were simply appointments. And here's one of the most familiar in the New Testament. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So we notice a few things from this familiar passage of sending and appointing. First of all, it is God himself who calls people to ministry And he himself chooses to qualify them with giftings. But we also notice that the elders and the members of the church, they then recognize God's clear leading and they embrace it and they affirm it. And then with prayer and fasting, the church lays hands on them as a demonstration of their commissioning. The demonstration we will see here tonight is actually two or three tiers deep. It's not the first thing that happened. But these men and their wives and their families have given themselves to ministry. And so tonight we are recognizing that and we are affirming it and we will demonstrate our affirmation of what God has done. You see in this passage that God works through the body as both the church and the Spirit are said to send these ministers, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. The church sends them, but the Holy Ghost is involved. And finally, because it is God who has called and gifted and empowered, and it's God who sends forth, God receives all the glory for the fruit of these ministries and the fruit of these ministries. Whatever that is and how many months or years we have left to work for the Lord, God receives all the glory for what happens here tonight ultimately. It's everywhere in the New Testament. Paul regularly ordained pastors for the churches that he planted, and he and Barnabas ordained elders in each church in the province of Galatia. He instructed Titus to appoint elders in every town on the island of Crete, And Titus himself had been ordained earlier when the Bible says he was chosen by the churches. In all of the above passages and examples, the ordination of elders involves the whole congregation. Not just the apostles, but the whole church. And so tonight I'm so glad you've come because this is a very special service, but you have a part to play in this service. Because even though the elders will be the ones that lay their hands on these couples and they will lead us in prayer, it is incumbent on all of us to affirm and confirm this. If the Holy Ghost is inside of you, there should be something that kind of leaps with delight when you think we're ordaining ministers of the gospel tonight because we're still the people of the Great Commission. And so this 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 word the greek word used of the Galate, when the galatian elders were ordained it literally means to stretch forth the hands and that's why we do that it's a word that was used in secular society to ordain to set in order to appoint it was a, a word used for voting in the athenian legislature So the ordination of church leaders involves a vote. By you coming and you worshiping and you praying with us in a few moments, you're voting that the gospel continues to be preached and you're voting that we continue to ordain ministers and you're voting that we continue to have great churches and wonderful congregations. Both the apostles and the New Testament congregations recognized those that the spirit had chosen, and they responded by placing those men in leadership, and that is what we are doing tonight. When God calls and qualifies a man or a woman for the ministry, it will be apparent not only to them, but apparent to the rest of the church. Yes, there are qualifications in the scripture for leaders, and that's the responsibility, uh, re- responsibility of our elders to know these men and know their wives and know their families. And so there are qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. Uh, but, But one of the qualifications that we look for when we choose people to lead our churches is this one. They possess a consuming desire to preach the gospel. Paul said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of... For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul got a lot of acclaim and fame in the New Testament. His name was well known, not only in the church, but to the Roman Empire. He was well known, but he said, it's not about me. It's not about my ministry or my glory or my credential or my qualification. In fact, I've just got a call, and woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So it is the duty of the church elders, together with a congregation like this, to recognize and accept the calling that lays on the heart of these men, their wives, and their families. And so we have somewhat of a formal commissioning ceremony, an ordination service. And it's appropriate, although it wouldn't be mandatory, but it's very appropriate. You see, the ordination ceremony tonight, this, this service, In itself, it does not confer any special power on these men. It simply gives public apostolic recognition to what God has already done and who God has already chosen. But having said that, because we are spirit-filled and we are spirit-led people, I do believe that a very fresh, and tangible anointing will be imparted in this service. It will be specifically for these three couples, but it will not be exclusively for them because all of us are able ministers of the New Testament. You might not be called to leadership or pulpit ministry in the church, but we are all called and we are all anointed by God for a place of service. In fact, if one of these men is your pastor, then what you need to realize is the best thing you can do to affirm and confirm their leadership is to be a great saint of God with an anointing on you, a submitted heart, a willing vessel to be used by God, a great volunteer, a loyal, faithful saint. That is the greatest thing you can do because that's your anointing. Jesse and his sons didn't have any idea at all why they had been invited to Samuel's sacrifice. Bethlehem was one of the least of the towns of Judah, but it was about to become the hometown of Israel's greatest king, and eventually it would become the hometown of the king of kings. As Samuel looked over the sons of Jesse that day, he was sure that one of them would be a fitting candidate to be anointed to be king because they were a handsome young man, they were tall. See, the prophet forgot how he had been fooled years before by Saul's outward appearance. But as he looked over the seven sons of Jesse, God reminded that old prophet I'm more concerned about their heart than their looks. I'm more concerned about what I've done inside of them than you are concerned about their outward presentation. When none of Jesse's sons were chosen, Samuel turned around and asked, Don't you have any other sons? Only then did Jesse mention David who was the youngest in the family, but the Hebrew word there also means he was the smallest or he was the least. It is pretty significant to me that David was keeping sheep when God called him because in Bible times, kings were often looked upon as shepherds of the nation. David would become a king who still had a shepherd's heart and he would always see God as the greatest shepherd of Israel. It's also significant that God called this young man who was already working, not just standing around with his brothers waiting to be called. He was working for God. He was working tending sheep, and that's just what God does today. And when David eventually became king, his job description didn't change much. He just changed flocks. He went from sheep to tending God's people, which is what your pastor does, whoever that man of God is. And it's quite an apt comparison. Uh, if you want to maintain a lot of self-esteem, you probably shouldn't study the nature and the intelligence of sheep too long. <laughs> Just saying. First Samuel chapter 16 is the setting. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed David. This is what's going to happen tonight. And he anointed David in the midst of his brethren. And this is also going to happen tonight. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. That's what we're here for tonight. Israel's kings were unique. They weren't just crowned with a crown. They were anointed with oil. It set them apart from all the pagan nations all around them. They were literally the anointed one who led Israel. The Hebrew word for Israel's kings. If if you were in Egypt and you wanted to talk about the king, you would say Pharaoh. If you were in Babylon and you wanted to talk about the king, you would say Nebuchadnezzar. They're not names as much as they are titles. But if you were in Israel and you wanted to talk about the king, you would say Mashiach. You would say the anointed one. The one who had oil poured on him. That, of course, is Hebrew for our word Messiah, and the Greek word is Christos, the anointed one, and what's happening in the books of Samuel, and the books of Kings, and the books of Chronicles, all of those kings in the Old Testament, they're pointing like airport runway lights toward a coming king. See, they're imperfect, in fact, some of them are a mess as leaders, some of them are immoral, some of them are so backslidden, but whether they were a bad king, a good king or a mediocre king, every one of them were a symbol, a sign, a billboard pointing to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so every leader anointed to serve God is the same thing. We don't point to ourselves. We don't point to our church. We don't point to our congregation or our denomination, our lives, our ministries, our billboards pointing to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and god even promised david one day on your throne there's gonna be an anointed one and he will sit on an eternal throne and he will rule the universe forever and forever and on that day as the spirit of the lord came upon david in bethlehem over in gibeah that same anointing lifted off of king saul And without that anointing from God, Saul began to lose his spiritual authority and he began to lose his mind. He would never show it. He would always pretend that he was in charge, but he would always know it. And the loss of his anointing, it would torment him for the rest of his reign. And that is exactly why, brothers and sisters, David's thoughts, his mind, was constantly preoccupied. You read the Psalms. Constantly preoccupied with his anointing. He never forgot that day. He wrote it everywhere. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over There's something so powerful about the anointing of God. There's something so amazing about His Spirit that comes upon us. He wrote it in Psalm 45, "...Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows." You know what we feel tonight in this place? It's the collective anointing of a bunch of Pentecostals that haven't been able to gather together like this for a while. And when you get that anointing in a building, it just flows from vessel to vessel to vessel to vessel. And there's a gladness that comes with it. There's an exuberance that comes with it. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There is liberty in the house of the Lord because of the anointing. He wrote it in Psalm 89. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him. The anointing oil was contained in and poured out of the horn from a sacrificed animal in Bible times. Horns are the chief source of attack and the chief source of defense for any animals that have them. And so horns in scripture are always a picture of power. There could be no horn unless there had first been a sacrifice. Something had to die if someone was going to carry the anointing. Ministry is not about puffing ourselves up and taking charge. Being a saint of God is not about faking everybody out. Something has to die and the good news and the bad news is in this case it's got to be you. You've got to die to yourself. But for me to live is Christ. I can die knowing that his life of the spirit is in me. And so that's the picture of the anointing. And that's why David would write this word My horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of an unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. I hate to mention this in this service, but we've been through some restrictions for a few months. We're tired of thinking about them. We're tired of negotiating them and preachers are tired of talking about it. But pardon me for a moment. What we need coming out of all of this is fresh oil to just run like a river through every pastor's ministry and through every saint's life and through every service. Don't you go be having dead church and your pastor trying to resurrect you. You get in your seat. You get on your feet. You get in the altar and you let fresh oil flow through through you and flow over you help your pastor have revival help your leader have a move of God that's your calling that's your job you're anointed with fresh oil oh I wish you'd lift your hands and your voice and just say God let it be tonight let it be on me tonight oh yes Jesus oh yes Jesus To be a leader, to be a minister, to be a pastor doesn't mean you're perfect. And David, the great king of Israel, he failed and sometimes failed miserably. But his mind was never far from that day he was anointed. So he would write, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That holy anointing oil formed an integral part of the ordination of priests and of prophets and of kings in ancient Israel. The primary purpose of the holy anointing oil was to sanctify, to set that anointed person apart to be holy unto God. You can read about it in Exodus. Moses wrote these words. God told him, speak to the children of Israel, saying... This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. Why? It is holy and it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth any like it or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. What are you saying, God? I'm saying the anointing is not for your flesh to be entertained. The anointing is not something to be played with. The anointing is not some kind of manipulation game that we play in services until we sing faster and faster and higher and higher and we shout louder and louder and we scream at people and we think that's the anointing. No, the anointing is when the Holy Spirit of God rushes into a building like this and touches lives. We might be singing fast. We might be singing slow. We might not be singing at all. The preacher might be hollering he might be whispering or he might not even be in the pulpit but when the saints of god get in a place and there's anointing on them there's something so powerful that happens it's not for your flesh to be entertained or your ears to be tickled or your emotions to be massaged the anointing comes on you to equip you to do something for the kingdom of god that's why you're anointed that's why you're anointed. That's why these men are anointed. Ah! Oh, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice higher than your hands. Fill this sanctuary with your voice, with your praise unto God. Thank God for his anointing. Thank God for his spirit that rushes like a river through the apostolic church. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words and Jesus quoted them. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Here's what the anointing does. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There's a lot of prisons today and not all of them are physical, but the anointing, when it gets in somebody's life, it can break them out of any prison. The anointing comes on the men and the women of God to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. In the Hebrew there, it says, after a pandemic. (laughs) To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. If you're still struggling from all this weird year and a half, let me tell you what the anointing will do. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Somebody said, well, I don't want to put it on. I don't want to just put on that I'm worshiping. Well, the Bible tells you to put it on. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. If you're feeling down and depressed and discouraged, the Bible instructs you, ignore your emotions. They're not reliable on your best day. And put on the garment of praise. It'll cover up and then it'll heal that spirit of brokenness and mourning and depression My goodness. There's nothing like this anointing. There's nothing like the Holy Ghost. And it grows the church that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and ultimately the anointing glorifies God that he might be glorified. The anointing of God on your life is to glorify the God who saved you. Let me hasten. That same prophet Isaiah, he also told Israel. The northern kingdom, when they were in captivity to Assyria, he told them, the heavy yoke of Assyria will only be destroyed when a remnant returns and the holy anointing oil is properly used in Israel once again. Here's what he said. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden, the burden of Assyria, shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And we love this part and we should. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I thank God that doesn't say the the yoke will be removed because if you remove something, somebody can bring it back. But the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. There's a little move afoot right now in modern Christendom to kind of discount and disregard and ignore the Old Testament. They're absolute fools to do that. It's the word of God. Jesus quoted the Old Testament constantly to preach. The New Testament church only had the Old Testament to preach from. So we're not throwing out the Old Testament. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he gave us permission that all these things that happen to Israel, they happen for our examples upon whom the ends of the world are come. So when I read a verse like that, I know it's to a nation I know it's to Israel. I know it's in the time of the northern kingdom. And I know that the immediate uh, implication is Assyria. But I also know that the word of God is so powerful that that prophecy can flow down through the years and throw down through the ages and flow down through the centuries. And I pick it up in the New Testament in this month here in Fredericton in this ordination service. And I say the anointing that rests on you can destroy. Destroy any yoke the anointing that rests on these men and their wives it can destroy any yoke of bondage or sin my goodness oh lift up the Lord in this room with your praise lift up the Lord in this room with your worship Manto loto che sabaha. I worship you, God. The devil is not afraid of a tired, weak, anemic, bored church. He's terrified of an anointed people who know they're anointed and know that that anointing has very little to do with them and everything to do with the Holy Ghost that God put in their hearts. Because we are spirit-filled, spirit-led people, a fresh and very tangible anointing is going to be imparted in this service. It will be specifically on these couples, but it will not be exclusively for them. The Bible teaches us that even spiritual gifts can be imparted by the laying on of hands, especially when that is done by our elders. And that is what we are about to experience tonight. Paul wrote to the Romans. He's not even hardly out of the gate. This is the first paragraph basically of his letter and he said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. Who do you think you are, Paul? Oh, I'm nobody, but I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and there's an anointing of God on me. He wrote to Timothy, his young protege, and he said, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, With the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, that's what's going to happen here tonight. I have one last scripture. Kathy, come back and help me for a sec, would you? John writes, the beloved disciple, the beloved apostle of the first century, the the, the longest living witness in the first century of the original apostles. And he lived long enough to see truth attacked. He lived long enough to see apostolic lifestyle and distinctives twisted and tortured and criticized and mocked and maligned. And there arose this group that they decided they were smarter than the apostles and they decided that they could kind of take the message of the apostles and and just kind of morph it into something that was more convenient for them and morph it into something that was more palatable to the world around them. And the people that John loved in the church, they were, they were confused because these people were telling him, you've, you've got to do it like we do it if you're really going to be the authentic deal. and and And, and they were confused. And John fired up on all thrusters and he said, No, no, no. You don't need them to tell you what to believe. You don't need the voices of the world or of culture to tell you how to grow a church or how to be a disciple. You don't need that. Here's what he said. But ye, apostolics, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. He's not saying you know everything. That's not the context. The context is you don't need those pagan voices, those secular voices to tell you how to live out your faith. Can I tell you in the 21st century, ignore them and get into this. Ignore them and get into the presence of God. Ignore them and get into the word and into prayer and you'll be just fine. Why? Because you have an unction from the Holy One. Now, the word unction actually means ointment that is rubbed in. And this is kind of neat. New Testament anointing was actually quite different than Old Testament anointing. In the Old Testament, the anointing was poured out. In the New Testament, the anointing was rubbed in. And I say to these three men tonight and your wives and your families, what an honor to be part of this service with you. While this moment and this service is very important in your life, your, effective in, your effectiveness in ministry is never going to be measured by anything that happens in one moment. It doesn't matter how good the service. It doesn't matter how magnificent that occasion. Your effectiveness in ministry is never measured By what is poured out in a moment. Saints of God, can I talk to you too? Your effectiveness as a child of God is never measured by what's poured out in a single altar service. Stop looking for the evangelist or the crusade or the the, the miracle healing service that's gonna change everything for you for the rest of time. I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen. Because it's never about that moment, that moment is just one of many moments where you need to be in the presence of God. The most effective Christians are the people who are most faithful to their local church where they're accountable, not the people that slide in and out and blow pixie dust all over everybody and ride off into the sunset like the Lone Ranger and go to a different church the next week. That's not who's the most effective. It's people that cherish the presence and the anointing of God. And so your effectiveness in ministry will never be measured by what happens in any moment, even this moment. But it will be be determined by how long and how consistently you soak in the glory and the presence and the word of God. In the New Testament, it's not just poured out anointing. It's rubbed in anointing. I'm finished. I'm so grateful to be here with all of you tonight. I'm so grateful for the Holy Ghost. And I'm so impacted by what we get to see here tonight. So we're going to proceed and there's going to be a little bit of formality. Formality is okay because we're affirming and confirming. It's our way of putting our stamp of approval on what's going to happen tonight. But we're also going to pray. In fact, because we're such a praying people, we're going to pray probably two or three times. And so I don't want to take away anything from that moment, but I am compelled to get us to pray right now. Um, We're going to pray over these couples and the elders are going to lay their hands on them. And that's going to be their moment. And I believe something's going to be transmitted and transferred. But right now is your moment. Because the anointing of God refuses to be confined even to the wonderful leadership of the church. It's too big for just the leaders. It's too big for just the people that stand on the platform. It's too big for just the pastor. The anointing wants to flow like a river through the aisles and through the rows and through the pews and through the seats of every church in this whole area so with that in mind before I surrender this microphone to whoever's coming next would you stand to your feet right now as a body because it takes the body to do what we're doing tonight to recognize God's leading to affirm his hand on these men and to confirm it we're going to do that but we need to be in position to do it so we need to get the anointing flowing through us right now would you reach over if there's somebody in your family standing next to you let's lift every hand that we can in this room right now and let's lift every voice higher than those fingertips and let's give God praise. Let's let the anointing flow because it is the anointing that destroys the yoke. There's healing loose in this ordination service tonight because the anointing is here. There's deliverance loose in this service because the anointing is here. Can I tell you, God would love to fill somebody with the back of the Holy Ghost at an ordination service because that's why we're doing an ordination service. So would you pray? Would you lift up your voice to God and let the anointing flow not just through them but through you right now? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes. Yes, yes.